Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today from Bigfoot Sword of the Earth Man is Josh Henneman. How you doing there, Josh? Oh, not too bad. Thanks right. for having me again. Thanks for coming back on. You are, of course, uh, following up your appearance on episode 96. So should anybody want to hear more from you, they can go back and check that episode out. And also with us today from the shepherd, Apocatastasis. Did I get it right this time? <laughs> Apocatastasis, yeah, but it was a gallon of try. going to get it. Never, ever going to get that, uh, is Andrea Molinari. Now, last time you were with us, Andrea, your son Roberto was with us, but he is not with us today. Correct. So if anybody wants to hear that, then go back to episode 106 and check that out. So how are you doing today, Andrea? I'm doing fine. That's we had a little, uh, as you know, a little mix-up getting uh, hooked up at the Skype, but we got that solved, and all's well in the universe. Yep. Well, all's well that starts well, I believe they say. No. <laughs> That's not what like they that. say. <laughs> so, anyhow, guys, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you both back on in an episode together is that you are writers who had an idea for a comic book and then had to go out and find people to help you get it from you know your script to a finished book. Um, so Andrea, why don't you start off, tell us real quickly about the shepherd and what your first steps were in trying to get that from a script to a, uh, well, to an artist. I'm like, where did you go first to meet with people to try to get that part done? Well, I would just begin by saying that I never really intended to become a graphic novelist or to write comic books. I mean, I've loved them from the time I was a kid, but that was never on the to-do list for life. Um, it just so happened that I had this nightmare um, and I got up, it had sh- shaken me to my core and I told my son about it and he thought it was rad. He thought it was cool. And uh, <laughs> he kind of pushed me, you know, sat down and kind of put a gun to my head and kind of pushed me and nagged me into sitting down with him and writing this out. And, uh, and then, you know, once we'd written it out, I thought that was the end of it. I thought I had him off my back and that was, you know, going to be the end. And no, he had not quite had enough. And uh, he was determined that this was going to be a graphic novel, a comic book. And, and, you know, and I told him, I have no idea of what to do, you know? And uh, so he said, dad, you know, this internet thing may just hold the answer. Uh, let's take a look. And so he just kind of pushed me into it. And uh, we ended up looking on the internet and we were looking at, you know, companies in particular, we started finding companies that, you know, were kind of like boutique places where they would, um, you know, help you put your comic book together. And we were fortunate enough to kind of stumble on uh, a small company like that called Scattered Comics Studios, which is out in Sacramento, California. And uh, Jason Doobie, who is the uh, the uh, president of that company and also a comic book writer and artist in his own right, 
uh, kind of works as the uh, kind of project manager for your book. And he helps you put together an art team where you select the artists. He has a stable of artists. He has a stable of colorists uh, that you would pick your art team and basically put it together. And then he works with you and your art team and works you through one page after another after another of your of your book. And, uh, you know, there's a set fee that, you know, per page fee that you pay uh, to scattered comics. And that's what we did. And we worked our way all the way through, you know, basically 120 page uh, graphic novel. Okay, so Josh, um, how about your story? Where did your idea for Bigfoot Sword of the Earth Man, and what were your first steps from getting it written to drawn, basically? Yeah, well, it was kind of a, a similar process at the beginning, where this was my first book, and I had no idea where to begin. And luckily, uh, once I once I first got the idea for Bigfoot, I was like, you know what? I'd always done always you know, different kinds of writings, like screenwriting, you know, short stories, all of that. And once I had the idea for Bigfoot, I was like, nope, this is a comic book. This has to be, this isn't, you know, it's not a movie. It's not a cartoon. This is a comic book. Luckily at the time, UCLA, they had uh, night classes. And one of the classes that they were offering was a, a comic book uh, writing course. And so I workshopped it through there ended up writing all full six issues of it and got it all, you know, all ready to go. And that's when I had to, you know, I had to find out, okay, now what's the next step? Where do I find an artist? So what I, like uh, Andrea, I turned to uh, the, the internet and was looking around, haunted a couple of forums. And I just started seeing people commenting on about the same things. And they were talking about uh, one of the sites I ended up on was called Digital Webbing. And through digital webbing, they had a, uh, a classified section where you could, you know, post like, hey, I'm, I'm working on a short. I'm working on a full, you know, full issue or a series. And you could say, oh, this is just a collaboration or this is a paid gig. And through uh, digital webbing, that was one of them. Uh, another one was Pencil Jack. And another one was called ConceptArt.org. I put out ads on all three of those and within you know within minutes of putting the ad out i started getting people responding and uh i said send me your portfolio a link to your portfolio and send me your page rate and through there like the second day of the ad i got uh andy taylor was the uh the artist who had responded to it and that's how and you know started and just evolved from there okay well and then through andy oh, oh go ahead no, no i'm sorry josh go ahead I was going to say through Andy, that's how I met uh, Tamara, the colorist, and uh, through, you know, so through the two of them, they had both gone to this, uh, it was the Kubert School out on the East Coast, and like I said, Andy uh, introduced me to Tamara, so we got it colored, and then at the time, Andy was also the letterer for the book, and so he did all, you know, paid him for the lettering and everything there, and then when Action Lab picked up the book, after we did the whole self-published version, I uh, pitched it to Action Lab, and they wanted to re-release all issues. And so then we had to find a letter for that. And through Action Lab, I was able to find uh, Adam Wallet, who did the ultimately did the lettering that people can see on the shelves now. Okay. But well, let me let me ask you guys this. So you you have this idea, and this I'm just going to open this to both of you at the same time. And if you step on each other, well, that's just going to happen. But. Um, <laughs> You guys both have jobs. Andrea, you're you're a teacher. Josh, you're if I remember right, you're in banking or finance. 
Yeah. So you have to, I mean, you still got to keep your job. So how did you, how did you go about affording, uh, well, getting the page rates and paying to get the book made? Uh, for me, I was lucky because at the time I didn't, uh, I wasn't married. And so I started, I knew, uh, through these websites, everybody always talked about horror stories of, you know, they, where they tried to collaborate with an artist or something went through. And I, and so I ultimately realized that you do have to pay the artist in order to get them on board a hundred percent. I had to, you know, figure out a page rate. And luckily, with the day job, it afforded me enough that I could just kind of put, you know, some away each pay period. And just as I was writing the book, I knew it like, hey, eventually I'm going to try to find an artist. So I knew, you know, I just stock, you know, 50 to 100 bucks away each time. And so it was luckily in that time that I was able to, you know, able to do that. Kind of balance the two out. Yeah. How about you, Andre? Well, I. You know, my answer is very uh, similar to that. Um, Of course, you know, with Scattered Studios, they already had an established, you know, per page rate. Um, But, you know, I I really think that you have to pay the artists and a legitimate rate. Um, I I just I've heard these stories of people saying, you know, they're going to, you know, offer something on the back end. I just feel that's really sleazy at a certain point, because unless you're completely ignorant, you know, if you read enough of these forums, it'll become very clear that people who are starting out writers who are starting out in this field, you're not making a lot of money off your graphic novel. I mean, you're just not. And to say, you know, I'm going to give you this part on the back end. There may not be much of a back end to give, you know. So it's like you're offering them, you know, 50% of marshmallows in the sky. And uh, so to me, I feel like what I want is to offer a fair rate that I can afford uh, to my artists and, you know, keep them engaged in that way. Uh, and to set up, you know, like the, the way I set it up for myself is that I we work in five-page increments. And I give them 50% of their money up front before they put, you know, pen to paper. And, uh, and then, you know, they get, we work through those five pages and then, uh, at the end of those five pages being completed, they send me low resolution copies of the work for final approval. Once they get approved, I send them the final 50% payment and then they send me the high resolution five pages and then we do it all over again. And, uh, you know, so they are not waiting very long for their payment. Um, you know, in fact, when I get the invoice, we work with PayPal. When I get the invoice, uh, as soon as I get the invoice, I make a point of paying it immediately. So within 15 minutes of receiving the invoice, uh, I, it's paid. Now, and and I, Andrea, is that, that is that a is that a inked colored lettered page? Uh, we I don't I don't uh, do letters until the very end. I've gone down that road before, and now I'm not going to go down that road again. Uh, the lettering is the very last thing that is done and only when the entire book is ready to go. Because, um, you know, if I want to adjust anything at the last minute, uh, sometimes the art makes some of the words that I have written irrelevant uh, and redundant, you know, where I don't need to say that anymore because it's pretty clear in the artwork that's been produced. Um, so I find that the most... Um, 
wise use of my money and you're paying the letterer, you know, so this does this isn't something that's done for free uh, is to wait to the last, the very last and make sure that you have the script and you're comparing it to the art and make it exactly the way you want it before you give it, you know, and put it in the hands of a letterer to go ahead and do the final lettering. So that's my page rate is I'm, you know, after working with scattered comics, what I learned is that I would really rather not work with a separate colorist um, because it's just one more potential problem that you can run into. So what I tend to look for is an artist that can do, you know, their own colors. Um, I'm looking for somebody who's going to pencil ink and do colors and okay. then give them one pay rate per page. And they're out there. I mean, they're, they're very much out there now that some colorists may hate me, but you know, <laughs> the more moving parts you have on something, the more potential problems that you can have, the more things that can go wrong. Oh, I mean, yeah. maybe that's kind of pessimistic, but you know, I've kind of learned the hard way, yeah. you know, yeah. so I would rather have one person, you know, working on that. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, but you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's what I'm looking for. The model that I'm looking for is finding an artist that does the entire thing. Okay. And so Josh, you actually, you prefer having a separate artist and colorist, right? Um, I think it's, it just happened to be that way. I didn't, uh, it's not something that I, yeah, that yeah. I preferred to do. It was just in talking to the artist. He was like, well, I can do it. We're talking to Andy. He's mm -hmm. like, I can do it, but I really highly recommend. And he gave me a couple of names and it just worked out that that, that was a better fit. However, for like a pitch that I had done uh, an art with an artist, he colored it himself. So I'm like, whichever it ultimately it ends up being for me, what I can afford and what the artist is comfortable with. Yeah, you know, if they can do it. Tamara's colors yeah, in I'm, your book are gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and she's just blown up. I mean, she's doing yeah. stuff for Marvel now, so it's like, oh, I probably won't do another book with her just for that reason. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, her stuff is always amazing. So, but, let me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put this question to both of you. Sorry, Josh, not to step on your toes no, there. No but, problem. But it sounds to me like you guys both agree with it's important to pay for the artists you bring on board. No no promises of, you know, pie-in-the-sky deals, even though sky pie is some of the best pie you can find. <laughs> <laughs> no, you heard I me would, right. That's the way I feel. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you uh, if say if I had a friend who uh, we you know we both came up together and we're like hey he's an artist on this and we're like hey let's do a book together and we're like everybody's gung ho for it I don't see anything wrong with that but mm -hmm. if you're trying to be that professional you're trying to get it out there even with that that friend you definitely still want to do you want to work from a contract of course and if you are approaching people that you don't know or just have met through conventions. By all means, you have to, you know, if if you want to retain all of the rights to it or, you know, certain you know amount of rights, then you have to, you know, extend that. Hey, this is a paid gig. We are I am super, you know, I'm super serious about this, uh, this project. OK. And so, um, Josh, I, so, Andrea, the, the method you use, you got it all from one place. But, Josh, you use different artists for each piece. So how did you draw up the paperwork or the contracts that you got? Uh, I just researched uh, work for higher contracts, and okay. uh, you can, you know, I off the top of my head, I can't remember what the where I, the site that I found it on. Probably no yeah, or find, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and you 
and find legitimate, you know, here's what a contract will look like. And then you can just tweak the, uh, you know, tweak the, the wording of it and say, oh, for me, uh, similar to uh, Andrea, what I did was I, uh, we paid in increments as well with uh, Andy and Tamara. It was every four pages, then I would cut the check. And so I worked that into the contract and put it in and said for every, you know, every four pages, you know, I will send, you know, X amount of dollars. And I also had it built in there that that for any reason, if anybody is dissatisfied, we can cut our ties. The artist, whoever it is, gets paid for the you know the work up until that point. Okay. So it's a, you know always build in kind of that out as well, just in case for some reason if a colorist has to bail, if the art you know if the letter if they can't you know accommodate you know then you have a a, a safety net kind of. All right. So did either one of you get caught right? Because both of you were not comic book creators before you made your first comic book. Did you either one of you get caught with something right up front that that knocked you off your game that you weren't expecting? Well, I, if I, I can answer this to start, I guess, um, you know, in my case, I did. I, I chose my artist with the company and we did the first issue of five and then the artist uh, decided to withdraw uh, because of family situations that were legitimate. You know, he had issues with his um, his children's health, and you know, he decided to focus on that. And I supported that completely. You know, that's from the human level. The business level was devastated because, you know, one of the things that you run into is, you know, when you go to pitch a product, people want to see, you know, a consistent art team. And so now I had issue one of five and, you know, it was going to be a fact that issues two to five were going to be with a different artist. And what it ended up happening is that I ended up having to redo issue one. Um, you know, so you're paying twice for the same yeah. issue and uh, that's tough to swallow, you know, um, but there was no choice. Um, it's just one of those setbacks that sometimes you get hit with Um now, I will tell you, one of the things that I'm doing in my sequel is that I built it right into the book where I am using different artists. Um, I'm telling multiple stories that are woven together from the different perspective of different characters. And, you know, it is a design that I'm having different artists with each of those characters. And what that provides me is a little bit of protection that the damage that I take if one of them were to drop out is, you know, is is mitigated to some degree but it's still damaged because if you assign an artist say for example 48 pages and they get 20 pages in and then they quit on you well guess what you've got nothing you know you yeah, paid yeah. for those 20 pages and you're not going to be able to use them and uh because you really don't want that glaring you know maybe josh has a different opinion on it but I mean, you don't really want that glaring break where, you know, you're doing this thing and it looks this way and now suddenly it changes inexplicably. So it's not part of the storyline that it, that it makes sense that it changes. It just does. Yeah. And, you you know, I mean, it's one thing, I guess, if you have an established like in my case now, I have an established title with Caliber Comics and, you know, I'm, they, they know I'm coming at them with a sequel and I, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, getting it approved. I mean, I know that they're going to publish it. So just maintain the status, the level of quality that I, that I've established and just press forward. 
Um, so that helps. But at the same time, I don't want to go, you know, into them with something that's a mess um, from an artistic point of view. I, re- I really want to have something that looks good. And if I'm changing artists, that there's a rhyme and a reason to it. I think that's sensible. Josh, did you did you hit a stumbling block you weren't ready for? I did not with uh, with Bigfoot. I didn't because I mean I heavily researched how to get it out there, how to do it, and so everything kind of just kind of fell into place as I was doing it. Um, however, in the follow ups that I've I've been working on a couple of pitches, trying to get those out there, I've fallen into some traps where it's kind of similar ways. We did. Uh, I did a pitch with one artist and we got uh, 10 pages done and we took that out, had some people, you know, like, oh, this is really good. And it made it up the chain, you know, and ultimately some of them had, you know, declined to pick it up. And now and this was like in 2000, end of 2014. And now for one reason or another, the book has gotten some heat on it again. And people are like, oh, yeah, let me take a look at it. But now the artist is like, wow, I can't do it. And so I'm like, oh, come on. And so I'm kind of in that spot where it's like, do I chuck those 10 pages, try to, you know, try to get it started with, because part of the, uh, the hook of the book was it was such a unique looking book to, I mean, you could try to find somebody who could ape that style or you can, well, since I've only done 10 pages, we can just, you know, throw it out entirely and then move forward with a new artist, take it back to, you know, those publishers and say, Hey, Unfortunately, we couldn't do it with, you know, artist X. Here's somebody else. What do you think of this? So, but yeah, Bigfoot was, uh, Bigfoot was a dream to work on. It was just, you know, once we decided to, you know, first it started off as that uh, a pitch. Then it was like, okay, we're going to do the first issue entirely. And it's like, okay, now we're going to self-publish it. So it was uh, just one right after another, like, and it was a pretty easy process. Yeah, and expensive, I, but <laughs> well, I, I want to yeah. talk. I want to talk specifically about the expense, but all, and lettering here in a moment. But I also want to just just for people listening, you guys aren't typical that your first books were picked up by big publishers. I mean, not DC Marvel, but still big indie publishers. Action Labs is no small house, and. Caliber, I mean, man, it had Dead World and uh, The Crow, so that's not typical. Yeah, I I don't think it is. I don't want to give anyone the impression that it is. Um, I will, you know, in uh, to be completely honest, you know, I think it's important to say my book was rejected by some of the finest comic book publishers out there. <laughs> okay, you know, and and not even rejected. Some of them just flat out blew me off. You know, I never even got a response from them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But you know, in fact, just to give you a sense of this, I sent that thing out to at least forty publishers. I was literally starting to run out of of publishers to send it out to. Um. But. I will tell you this, that I got some unique insight that I want to share with people, you know, who might be in the same position that maybe will help them. Um, Before he passed, uh, uh, Gary Reed of Caliber Comics, who was my publisher, who took took the shepherd. uh, He died this uh, at the beginning of October of 2016. Before he passed, he was talking with all of us about, um, you know, the submission process. And he just said, you need to understand for a small publisher most small publishers don't have an editor assigned that goes through these submissions. So it, this is looking at submissions is one of 100 things that the publisher has to do. And so every once in a while they get, you know, 
15 or 20 minutes and they look through a couple of these. And in 15 or 20 minutes, you need to understand you're not getting a deep dive. You're getting a surface glance at a couple of them. Okay. Um, so a lot of times what you send in flat out does not get looked at. So not hearing from the publisher, it's highly likely they didn't even look at it. Okay. So you got to somehow absorb that reality, swallow it and keep going. And uh, in fact, one of the things that I've done for Caliber is before Gary died, I wrote to him and said, look, you know, I have an undergraduate degree as a journalist. I have a doctorate in literature. Why don't you send these submissions to me? I'll look at them. I will read every damn one of them and I will I will uh, evaluate every single one on its lettering, its art, its story. And I'll tell you which ones I think you should pick up and you do it or don't. It's up to you. And he took me up on it. He sent me drop 30 on my lap right at once. And I literally plowed through every <laughs> single one of them. And I'm still looking at submissions for Caliber. And uh, in fact, I just sent one back, you know, back to uh, my publisher today. Um, in fact, the art, the uh, the whole team is from Italy, believe it or not, uh, which is rather interesting. But um, I share all that in terms of how difficult it is to get published, because I think it's important for people to understand that you have to kind of be relentless. You have yeah. to just keep trying. You can't take the, what appears to be rejection and let it destroy you, you know, because here's the thing. You don't need 40 publishers. You just need one. That's all you need. And if you don't get one, you can always go the, you know, independent publisher route and, you know, that may not be a bad way to go at all. I mean, Josh has gone that route. And, you know, I know others have gone that route. And, uh, you know, it's not it's not a bad route to go. So, you know, there are other options. Yeah, especially today with the Internet. I mean, you can go you can do it as a web comic. And so you don't sure. have to pay for like paper and such like that. And then you build your audience there, then possibly do a Kickstarter. And boom, you've got, you know, other publishers looking at that if the Kickstarter is you know, super successful. They're like, oh my God, what's this book? You know, somebody like say image would pick it up if it was, you know, phenomenally, phenomenally uh, successful. But uh, in my case, yeah, I, we self published all six issues first. And it was only because I had uh, gone to a convention, tabled it at the convention. Issue number two had been out and I just happened to be next door to uh, Dave Duanch, who's the president of action lab. So he'd seen, you know, the people, you know, coming by seeing, oh, what's this book? Oh, it's Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot with a broadsword. He had seen the response that he was getting through, like, the kids and through, you know, adults alike with this book. And that would have never happened had I not gone and tabled at a convention and tried to sell it on an individual level. So it's not only that you, you know, you can submit it to publishers, you know, all, you know, all various publishers. But if they can put it, you know, a face to the name as well, you're, you know, that much further ahead than, you know, just the the slush pile. Yeah, and you know, something I want to point out to you, and this is, I mean, coming at it, understand that I'm talking about it from a podcast point of view, but I think it still comes out the same in the wash. My regular everyday job is a plumbing salesman. And really what that comes down to is I stop by people's offices, ask them about their kids, their favorite sports team, drop off a 30-pack of beer that I lost on a bet, take them to lunch, take them to dinner. you got to get out there, shake hands and squeeze shoulders and pat people on the back. I mean, I'm, whether it's the publishers or it's the buying public or it's you guys working a table at a con, would, would you say that's pretty true? 
I, I would. I, I agree with everything that uh, Josh was saying. I think it's really important to get out there. And here's the thing. What I found is that when you get out at the cons, guess what happens to you? You start meeting a bunch of publishers that are out there. I actually am yeah. on a first name basis with four presidents of different comic book companies now. Which is ironic because, you know, I couldn't even get them to spit spit in my face before. And now I'm talking with them, you know, face to face and, and all that. So, you know, going to these cons, tabling at a con is, I think, one of the smartest things you can do. Um, the idea of doing the web comic is very smart, too. It builds up an audience, which ultimately you got to have anyway. You know, so I think that that's real smart. In fact, I have a friend of mine who has a web comic. Uh, his name is Walter Osley. And his webcomic I'm plugging in, I guess, is uh, Shiver Bureau. And what's cool about it, it's a kind of a mashup between Doctor Who meets the Ghostbusters. And I, he's literally got seven issues on, out on the web. And it's great stuff. I mean, I've read through the whole thing and enjoyed, enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, he's got a, quite a sizable following. Uh, and he, you know, the comic is being paid for by these Kickstarters that he does. And then on top of that, he goes out to all these different cons, Emerald City out in Seattle. He's Baltimore, uh, Heroes Con there in Charlotte, Chicago, New York. I mean, so he is tabling, you know, with with all the big boys and girls uh, at all these conventions, and he's doing a webcomic, and he's in complete control of his title. So whatever happens going forward, that's, you know, uh, his t fate to determine, um, which is pretty impressive, quite frankly. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can do this, uh, but I definitely believe that getting out in the cons and meeting people, making friends, and just letting it happen naturally, because you know, you'll be able to relate to these people. You know, they've all gone through the same thing. They may be at a different stage in their career than you, but they took their, you know, lumps just like everybody else. So they'll be able to laugh when you tell your stories, you know, uh, because they've been there and done that, you know. So I totally recommend that to people is get out there and do cons. And, you know, whether it's a small one-day con or, you know, the big four-day cons that you have at some of the some of the big venues. And Josh, I'm, I'm assuming you agree with most of that. Oh yeah, absolutely, 100. percent That's uh, yeah. Some like I said, I would have never gotten with Action Lab had I not, you know, been right next to them, and they saw the book, saw me, and then it was years later that I ran into one of them at uh, Rose City Comic Con, and he was like, "Hey, did you ever submit this book to us?" And I was like, at the time, I was looking for someone to do the trade. And I'm like, nah, I thought, you know, I, so one thing led to another and I ended up pitching it to him uh, like this. This was a, 2012 is when the first issue came out. 2014 is when I ran into uh, ran into them at uh, Rose City as well. So and they remembered me from that uh, original uh, WonderCon that I had gone to. So, yeah, absolutely. Get out there, meet people. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the big conventions uh, at the time. Wonder. Con was still relatively small here in uh, Southern California. Rose City, which is uh, up in Portland, that's uh, relatively small compared to, say, like San Diego Comic Con, uh, Emerald City, New York Comic Con. Um, yeah, so yeah, get out there, meet people, and uh, shake a few hands. <laughs> All right. And, and you'll never know who, who you'll meet at these small ones. Um, you're going to laugh at this, but I, uh, I just was at this one-day con here in down here in Florida at a place called Claremont, Florida, 
which is just uh, west of Orlando, if you're, if you're looking for geography. And anyway, it's a one-day con in Nowheresville, Florida, okay? And uh, at the table signing, there's George Perez and uh, Chuck Dixon, you know? Wow. And you get a chance because it's small. You can walk up there, and here you are talking with these people who are legends in the field. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like uh, like I had this great conversation with Chuck Dixon where uh, it sounds like I'm name dropping, like, I, you know, we're buddies <laughs> or something. We're not. I'm a fan. OK. Um, but what was cool is we're talking about, you know, as writers, you know, I ask him about references for your artists because I'm really big on providing, you know, pictures, photographic um you know, references. If I want you to draw uh, this gun, this is the exact gun. Here's a good picture of it. You know, high res picture. There it is. I give it in a Dropbox for references as we work through each issue. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, what's your feelings on providing references for artists? He said, I do it all the time. I've got a, a file like you wouldn't believe of these things. He said, but you know, it's interesting that different artists want it. And some artists don't want it. Some artists love it because you made their life a lot easier. Other artists don't like the idea because uh, they feel like maybe you're trying to control them or something. But we had a great, you know, it was 15 minutes and there was no one else around. And we're, I'm talking with Chuck Dixon, you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous, <laughs> you know, but it was very cool. And that stuff can happen all the time at these cons. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing my reread of the new Teen Titans right now, starting back at the first issue going all the way through until uh, Wolfman and Perez left. Yeah. So that would be a big deal to me, just like walking through the room and seeing George Perez. Oh, yeah, it was, it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I walked by him, you know, I was like, oh, that's George Perez. It's George friggin' Perez, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that was just, you know, the the inner child in you comes out, you know, like I, I've had chances to talk with Neil Adams, for example, uh, at, you know, at Megacon in Orlando, I had a chance to actually have a few minutes just chatting with him and I really liked him and just told him, I said, you know, I'm sure you've heard this about a billion times, but it's like when I close my eyes and I think of some of these DC characters like Green Lantern and, you know, Green Arrow, who are, I always loved as a child, I see the way you drew them. Yeah. That's to me, that's yeah. like the quintessential Green Arrow, you know, and Black Canary and, and, and. You know, even Batman. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like that's how you draw that character. You know, I mean, it's, and it's just it's it's amazing when you think that you have this artist that kind of made that kind of an impact, um, you know, where they basically defined how a character looked for an era. You know, it's pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, guys, before you know, we're going to run down on time here pretty quick. Um, not that I have like hard breaks or anything, but I do have a dinner or a wife cooking dinner. So um, <laughs> that's I know an you, important priority there. Absolutely. It's, it's not it's still not leftover Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, no, you know, yeah. actually, the way the way beans. we the way we do things, we're actually pretty much done with turkey. Well, actually, noon today we had our turkey pot pies. We're done now. Uh, wow. Yeah. No, I'm cool with that because I'm not a big turkey fan. Oh. Yeah. I'm still I'm still eating turkey. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I know one of the, both of you, I believe, but I know at least one of you, you ran into an issue with the lettering on your books. And yeah, for yeah. people who cool. don't have a design background, lettering is an afterthought. But um, why don't you let's start with you, Josh, and then I'll ask you know Andrea, you answer the same question. But what did you run into with the lettering on your books? Uh, what we ran into in print, it looked just fine. 
because in print you could hold it up, you know, up close, far away, and it looked fine. But digitally, and this was the first, the self-published version, mm -hmm. uh, digitally it was too small. And then when you tried to zoom in, everything gets kind of a little pixelated, and as a result, it didn't read as well once we, you know, tried to do PDFs, get it out to reviewers in that sense. Um, and so it was a learning process because, like I said, uh, Andy was uh, Andy Taylor. He was the uh, the artist on Bigfoot, and he was also the letterer. And so it was his first book that he was kind of lettering as well. He knew how to do it. He learned how to do it in school. But as the issues, you know, progressed, we started to oh, we need to do this. We need to make the fonts a little bigger, you know. And so they got better as the issues went on. So then when Action Lab picked it up, they were like, hey, we love it. You don't – everything looks great. Just we have to get the – we have to re-letter the book just to make it consistent all the way through. And it was yeah, said through uh, Action Lab that he – we were introduced to Adam Wallet, who's out of Florida. I think he's uh, Jacksonville, Florida. He uh, ended up lettering the book, and it looks phenomenal now. It looks uh, – so I've used him on – three other pitches that I've done. So yeah, uh, good lettering will save a book. Bad lettering will absolutely ruin a book that it, it'll, it'll draw the reader out and that'll, you know, if it's uh, clunky or something looks, you know, off with it. So I tell everybody don't skimp on the lettering. Absolutely. Do not do that. And Andrea, how about you? I couldn't agree more with what Josh is saying. Um, I ended up having to re-letter my book as well. It's something you do not think about, you take for granted. Uh, but I would tell you, uh, you know, echo what Josh said about don't skimp on the letter. In fact, um, I, I don't want, I will never hire anybody to letter my book who isn't a letterer front and center. Yeah. I don't want them to, oh, I do this in addition to, no, thank you. Go letter somebody else's book. I don't want that. I want somebody who's a letterer. That's what they do. It's their religion. They get up and they letter a page in, before they've had their first cup of coffee. That's that's who I want lettering my book. And I'm willing to pay more to get the best one because it really, you know, a letterer, people don't think about this, but the letterer actually controls how you read the book because of the pacing and where they place the the copy. Um, it, they're a lot more important than you think than you think. Uh, like I said, we we've been exposed reading these comics for all these years. We've been exposed to having good letterers and we just take it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, that's just, you know, you put the words in. It's just they're out on the page and they kind of around the art and stuff. But I mean, the, the stuff, the um, submission that I looked at today, um, you know, I wrote to my publisher as I said, this will need to be relettered because for one, the font has these S's in it that don't even look like S's. And so you're looking at these words and you're trying to determine what is this word. And then you suddenly it dawns on you. It's like, this is an extremely common word. So I'm sitting here stumbling over a word that I shouldn't be stumbling over. And it's all because of this damn font. So this font needs to go away right now. <laughs> um, and then, you know, even where they place the, uh, you know, the, the lettering where it, it kind of interferes with the reading of the book because it's actually, you're confused as to where do you go? You know, like your eye should naturally be drawn by the let the work of the letter. It should be guide. You should be guided through the page. They where where they want your eye to go, and um, you know, like I said, it's just that's really, really, really important. And uh, I would not skimp on that letter. Go get yourself a good one. You know, be willing to pay a little bit more. 
and don't fool around because <laughs> you know, yeah. you'll read a letter and you're going to pay more anyway. Yeah, and I'll see, uh, I'll, I'll run across artists, or uh, not artists, but uh, fellow writers who are like, yeah, I'm just going to letter it myself. And I'm like, don't do it. Do not. I'm, like, I'm <laughs> just going to get Illustrator and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look at a YouTube. What's the worst that could out? happen? Uh, (laughs) well let's put it this way you won't get published and you'll be told if you're lucky enough to get published they'll tell you to re-letter it anyway with a real letterer so that's what's gonna happen (laughs) you know yeah it's like yeah that's one of those you're on the side of the road watching this slow motion car wreck that's about to happen yeah don't do it dear lord pay the letterer so I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one simple question, but we're gonna shoot for brevity on the answer here. Um, if somebody, if a young comic creator, first time out writer, were to approach you and say, you know, hey, so I've got this script, I've got it written, I'm ready to go. I just need to hire an artist, but I'm young, I'm broke. How do I get the money? I mean, what what would you tell them, Andrea? Okay, two things. You're going to have to get another job. You know, you're going to have to get another part-time. If you're already working, you're probably going to have to pick up a part-time job. That's being honest. Second thing is, you know, you're going to probably have to do a Kickstarter or something along some kind of crowdfunding. But you need to understand is that a Kickstarter is not a a cure-all because unless you have a group of followers or a wide circle of friends who actually have some, you know, and some of them have some deep pockets in there, you know, you're not going to get a lot of money out of your Kickstarter. Everybody's doing a Kickstarter right now, you know, so there's tons of competition that you're going into when you lay out your Kickstarter. So you can, it's not, you know, the cure all for that stuff. You really have to have kind of a, a group of followers to begin with. So yeah, my first advice is get another job. You know? okay. <laughs> that's, that's legit. How about you, Josh? Uh, I would say definitely start saving money now, whatever it is, any little amount if you haven't written it yet, by the time you've written it, workshopped it, whatever, you'll have a, a sizable chunk of, of change saved. Um, so start saving today and make it a different account than your regular account. That way you know, oh, this is the comic book fund. Um, and if you absolutely don't can't scrape together the money for that, think about it in terms of, of, of doing a Kickstarter and then only just doing you know five to ten pages so that the people scrape together the amount for that. That way, if you do a Kickstarter, they'll be able to see, oh, hey, here are some pages from the book. This is how I know it's going to look. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them 10 bucks. I want to see you know, a, a print copy of that. Um, so, yeah, scrape together that you know, just five to ten pages worth if you're going the Kickstarter route. Yeah, uh, I think those are two very good pieces right there. So let's um, <clears throat> let's do the wrap up, Andrea. Why don't you give us your very short two sentence pitch for the Shepherd and tell people where they can find you on the internet? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the the Shepherd is a supernatural thriller. It's based around a family. Uh, the oldest son dies of a drug overdose. The father can't cope with it. Begins to feel that his son is calling out to him from the other side eventually takes his own life and goes after his son into the afterlife and craziness ensues from there. Uh, the ongoing series, all it takes place completely in the afterlife in a place called the seam, which is the equivalent of purgatory. And where can people find you? Uh, lots of different places that certainly you can go to Amazon. Uh, you could buy us at your own local comic book store. Our diamond item code is uh, uh, November uh, NOV 15 
one, two, two, three. Uh, we're on Comixology, Drive Through Comics, Kindle, lots of different places. And you're published by Caliber. Published by Caliber Comics. Yeah, I better say that, otherwise I'll be hearing it from my publisher. It's like, hearing about you're that published later. for now, but tomorrow you won't be. <laughs> and, and Josh, why don't you give us a real quick pitch on uh, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man, and tell people where we can find you at. All right. It's uh, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man. It's uh, Bigfoot with a broadsword. Simple as that. Um, it's kind of a Flash Gordon meets uh, John Carter with Bigfoot on an alien planet. And you can find us on uh, Amazon. The trade is out, so you get the whole full six-issue uh, uh, miniseries. Uh, go to Amazon, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. Uh, you can find it at uh, BigfootComic.com, uh, Facebook, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman, and it's uh, published through Action Lab. And there you have it. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Guys, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Um, really had a blast talking with you. I think we may have to do follow-ups to this as well. A lot of good information <laughs> in here. Um, well, I'm happy to have had the chance to do it. I, and it was very nice meeting Josh as well. It's, uh, yeah, yeah it's nice meeting always, you too, man. It's always cool to hear, you know, other people's stories and feel that so much resonance, you know, in terms yeah. of your experience. And you, and you find out that everybody's kind of going through the same thing you are. Like, we had some of the same beats that we went through. Like, how do we find an artist? Oh, let's go to the internet. Let's go there. We found this. Oh, let's go approach it in this way. And so once you start seeing that, that, like, hey, hey, everybody's in the same boat, you know? So, so that's cool Definitely. to find out. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, everybody, you can find us in the meantime at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. I'm also on Instagram, but I hear the pictures might just be drunk and naked in a bathtub, so you don't go there. <laughs> and until next time, uh, we'll see you around, and the band from New York, Reign of Zaius, is going to play us out with the song Out to Get Mine. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you all soon. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.